That was a beautiful hymn we just sang, Amazing Grace. It's uh, arguably the most popular hymn in the English language in the world. It was also written by a fascinating man. You can find his grave if you go to the little English town of Olney. There's a cemetery next to the parish church where he was buried. His name was John Newton. If you go to Newton's grave, there engraved on his marble tombstone are the words of his epitaph. He wrote himself the words he wanted on his tomb. This is what they read. John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and a libertine, a servant of slavers in Africa, now, by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. And John Newton had lived a long life in the godless realm, a servant of slavers, a man who opposed the Christian faith. But then in the grace of God, God called him to faith in Christ, pardoned him, restored him, and he became a pastor. He ended up preaching God's word for 35 years in England. This is what he meant by pardoned, restored, and appointed to preach. As you read the words of his hymn, you recognize the fact that this was a man who, uh, who certainly remembered his past life of sin. And so when he heard the gospel message that forgiveness is ours in Christ Jesus, that the door to heaven is open because of his sacrifice, that we've been made right with God, not because of anything we have done, but because of his arrow-pointing-down act of grace. Well, John Newton thought that grace sounded amazing. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Amazing this grace that would save a wretch like me. See, John Newton knew that God had forgiven him. He knew that God had forgotten his past. He was pardoned, restored. But you know, John Newton, he never forgot what God had forgotten in Christ. He always remembered it. See, John Newton knew that God had forgiven him, but he still remembered. We meet another man like John Newton in our gospel reading for this morning, a man who continued to remember what God had forgotten. Everybody called him Matthew, but... When Matthew wrote the words that he wanted to be remembered by, it's really interesting what he said. Remember, Matthew's the guy that the Holy Spirit used to write the gospel according to St. Matthew. And when he, in chapter 10 of Matthew's gospel, gave the list of the 12 disciples, listen to what Matthew wrote. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thet, you heard it, right? You know, Andrew and Simon, James and John, Matthew, the tax collector. When he wrote the words by which he would be remembered for untold generations, he wanted to be known as Matthew, the tax collector. Matthew was remembering something that God had forgotten. It all started out as a normal enough day for Matthew. He no doubt made the commute into work to head to the tax collector's booth like he did every day. But I'm willing to hazard a guess that he did not stop and have a bunch of polite conversation with the locals because they hated him. Hated him. Tax collectors were the worst. They were considered vile, cheats, 
corrupt. I mean, there was an expression, tax collectors and sinners. It was the worst group you could be in. Matthew certainly would not have stopped for polite conversation because tax collectors are considered the lowest. I mean, today nobody likes to get a letter from the IRS, granted, but this was totally different. Tax collecting today and back then were, were totally different. The system itself was set up to almost ensure the fact that someone was going to be getting cheated. Right? This is how it would work. So Matthew would work with the Roman Empire and he would submit a bid for taxation for an area, like let's say Sharpsburg. He puts in a bid for taxes to the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire accepts his bid. He pays the tax for Sharpsburg. Then he gets the authority to collect taxes from everybody that lives in Sharpsburg, with the goal being if he can collect more than his bid, pure profit. Imagine getting audited, and the IRS agent comes, and he gets to set the rate at which you're taxed, and anything over a certain amount goes directly into his pocket. Could you imagine? Tax collectors were seen universally as corrupt, as working with a hated government-occupying force, as people you could not trust. No, they hated tax collectors. I wonder, you think Matthew ever got used to the, the angry looks, the hard stares? Do you think the extra money compensated for his isolation? You think the extra luxuries he got out of this ever made it okay to carry the guilt he must have carried? You know, all those things must have been riding on Matthew's mind on the day when everything changed. Right? He's sitting there in his tax collector booth, and who does he see come walking along but this, this famous preacher, this rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth? Now, we don't know if Matthew had heard Jesus preach at this point, but he certainly would have heard of him. I mean, at this point in Jesus' ministry, he was so popular, it was hard to even get close to him. And then the miracles were happening. Pe paralyzed people being made to walk again. Crazy stuff. Matthew certainly knew who this man was. I wonder what he expected when the popular preacher turned toward his tax collector booth. I would guess that Matthew was getting ready to receive what he usually would have gotten from religious leaders. He was probably steeling himself for a good bit of judgment, maybe a little bit of yelling, certainly being told exactly what someone thought about being a tax collector. You can almost feel Matthew waiting there, tensing up, putting up his shields, getting ready to brush off whatever hate is going to come spewing out of this person's mouth. But then this teacher comes up and looks at him, and Matthew saw something in his face that he had never expected. He saw love. He saw acceptance. He saw someone who knew him to the core, but wasn't turning away. And then Jesus spoke to this man, so hated by the people around him, and he said, Follow me. Leave this behind, Matthew. Follow me. Leave all of it, and you come be my disciple. <laughs> Jesus called him right out of his life of sin, 
I mean, that's the way God works. This invitation of Jesus had the power to open Matthew's heart, to let him see himself as he truly was, to look in his heart and see everything that was wrong there, to look at his life and see everything that was broken there too, to recognize the things he kept telling himself were making him happy were completely meaningless. All the things he said didn't bother him. Actually did. Maybe the hardest part, that much of what people had said about him was true. They were right. But now those same words of Jesus, though, included an invitation to a completely different kind of life. Jesus said, follow me and I will wash you clean. Follow me and you will find pardon and forgiveness. Follow me, Matthew, and leave that all behind. And Matthew did. Got up, walked out of his tax collector booth, left that life behind, and followed his Savior. And from that moment on, Matthew's past, it was forgotten. That's what forgiveness means, right? God forgets your past. And what a good thing, too. I mean, the psalmist said, uh, if you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? I mean, if God kept a checklist about the things you've done wrong this week, how ready would you be to stand before him? I mean, if God kept a list of the things that I've done wrong, O Lord, who could stand? Ah, but, the psalmist says, but with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. See, this is what forgiveness means. God does not keep a record of your sins. Your history is scrubbed clean. Your past is forgotten. Remember, God says, I will forgive your wickedness and I will remember your sin no more. It's not that God's forgetful. It's that God forgets on purpose. You don't know how completely he forgives? Look at what happened with Matthew, right? Matthew leaves his life of sin behind. He begins to follow Jesus. And, and what does Jesus say to him? How does Jesus interact with Matthew? Does he say, well, okay, Matthew, we're going to see how this goes, all right? Um, you know, if he can uh, put you a little bit on probationary period, make sure you don't do any backsliding. If you reform your life enough, perhaps you can get closer and closer to me. And one day, maybe, we can be friends. No, not how that works. Doesn't say anything like it. You know what Jesus did as soon as Matthew stood up from his tax collector booth? He went to a party at Matthew's house. Went to a party. There's no probationary period when it comes to forgiveness. There was no testing to see if Matthew's new commitment to Jesus was going to stick or not. There was full forgiveness, full acceptance, full fellowship. Because Matthew's past as a tax collector had been forgiven and forgotten by God. God had forgotten his past. That's what grace is. And it's amazing. But not everybody forgot Matthew's past. No. Uh, the good religious folk, the Pharisees, this was a group of self-appointed guardians of what they thought was right and spiritual in the world. Uh, the Pharisees were not about to forget Matthew's past. Uh-uh. And they thought this whole thing with Jesus and Matthew was scandalous. Scandalous. 
Jesus, what are you doing hanging out with someone? You go to a party at a tax collector's house? Here's a really important point for us to take home today. Um, Be careful when you remember what God forgets about other people. Be careful when you remember what God forgets about other people. When you look at the people around you and you can run through a whole catalog of things that they've done wrong to you or things that they've done wrong in this world, you're remembering what God's forgotten. When you look at your family members and you can make a list of how they messed up this morning, last night, last week, last month, and you're not afraid to remind them, you might be remembering something that God has forgotten. When you look at the world around you and you see people who are far less spiritual than you and you look down your nose at them, you're remembering what God has forgotten in grace. And what we're doing when we do that is we're not acting like Jesus. We're acting like the Pharisees who wanted to remember what God had forgotten. If you ever find yourself doing that, this is a great lesson to remember because you look at how Jesus responded to people who did that, who wanted to remember what God had forgotten. To the sinners, Jesus, who repented in faith, Jesus goes to a party. To the Pharisees, who wanted to remember what God had forgotten about other people, he offered them nothing but sarcasm. Oh, you're righteous. Well, turns out I haven't come here to call righteous people like you. I've come to call sinners. You righteous people, you're on your own. Be careful when you remember what God has forgotten about other people. Second important point, though, also be careful when you remember what God has forgotten about you. As Christians, we know that we're forgiven by God. We hear him say, I've forgiven your wickedness and I remember your sins no more. We understand that we're saved by this amazing grace, but uh, isn't it true that we, we have a hard time forgetting about the sins that bother us? Maybe they were sins of your youth. Maybe they were sins of your middle age. Sins that you're ashamed of or sins you should have been ashamed of. And we just, we just can't forget them, whether they were sins of habit or sins of choice. And the problem with that is then, you know, at the beginning of church, we hear those words of forgiveness, but our conscience and the devil lie to us and say, well, he doesn't mean for you. And he certainly doesn't mean for that. Because if he knew about that, he would never say words like that. The trouble is, when we remember what God forgets, we try to take salvation and pull it back into our hands instead of leaving it in the hands that do nothing but dispense this amazing grace. Think about it this way. Um, God is not going to forgive you because you feel badly enough about a sin that's in your past. Right? So if you're remembering your past sins, thinking that if you just do enough penance by feeling badly about them, eventually God's going to forgive you for them, you're dead wrong. That's not how God works. That's not grace. No. Or uh, if you're remembering the sins of your past uh, so that you're going to be ready when God finally hits you with the karma truck 
And then you'll be able to understand, this is why the bad things are happening in my life. God's getting even with me for that thing I... You're dead wrong. It's not how God works. That is not grace. When we do that, we're forgetting what God remembers. See, what God remembers is not your past. What God remembers is not your sin. No, what God remembers is the sacrifice of his son on the cross. What God remembers is not your righteousness or lack thereof. What he remembers is the righteousness of Jesus that was offered for you. God doesn't remember your past. What he remembers is atonement and sacrifice and righteousness. And that is why Christian faith means full acceptance, means a period, not an asterisk. There's no footnote. There's no exception. There's no mouse type of terms and conditions on God's forgiveness and love. Don't forget what God actually remembers. But we're human. I mean, can't whitewash our history, I suppose. So is there a proper way to remember what God forgets? Well, yeah, I think you could do it like Matthew did. who, When he wrote the words of his epitaph, he was remembering what God had forgotten. Or John Newton. Or, or what about St. Paul? You know, St. Paul in our second reading, he looked back at a life where he called himself the worst of sinners. He remembered, though, what God had forgotten, and he saw all of those sins covered by the blood of Jesus. And he remembered it just to marvel at God's grace, that he would save someone like you or save someone like me. Listen to what Paul wrote. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. That's a way to remember what God forgets. More like John Newton, where he said, once an infidel and libertine, but pardoned, restored, appointed to preach. Or maybe you can just be like Matthew, that one word, tax collector. But when we remember what God forgets like that, look at all the mercies of God spread out over our lives, we can't help but marvel at grace that's amazing. God grant that. Amen. The following is a sermon that was preached at Faith Lutheran Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia. For more information about our church or to hear past sermons from Faith Lutheran, visit georgiafaith.com. Thank you for listening.